There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service. I'm your host, Nick Portillo, and today I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Nicholas Fanucci, a renowned figure who has played a pivotal role in the world of fine dining and is known for his extraordinary experiences and accomplishments. Nicholas Fanucci's story is one of culinary brilliance. He honed his craft working alongside the legendary chef Thomas Keller, serving as the general manager of the iconic French Laundry. This iconic restaurant not only earned a prestigious three Michelin stars during his tenure, but also became a revered destination for food enthusiasts worldwide. In my conversation with Nicholas, we'll explore the invaluable lessons he learned while working with Thomas Keller and the secrets behind the French Laundry's meteoric rise to culinary stardom. But there's more to this culinary virtuoso's tale. Nicholas has taken the art of fine dining to the next level by recently opening his own restaurant in the picturesque paradise of Malibu alongside his three sons. We'll uncover the challenges and triumphs of this new venture, blending traditional excellence with a touch of familial warmth. Prepare your senses for a gourmet journey as we explore the fascinating career of Nicholas Fanucci, a man who has not only witnessed the pinnacle of culinary achievement, but continues to contribute to the ever-evolving world of fine dining. Let's go ahead and welcome Nicholas. Nicholas, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on, share your story, and meet with me. Thank you for having me, and uh, very excited to share uh, my story and to, for the first time, to be on a, someone else's podcast. What I usually like to do with with all of my guests is a little background on how did you get into the food service industry. So when I was um, I was younger when I, I had, obviously I'm French and I was in, um, finishing my school year in May of 1988. And my father uh, was a very strict dad, gave me 48 hours to find a job or else. So I ended up to go to the first restaurant in the first village in Southern France and, uh, apply for a job as a busboy was fortunate enough to get the job. Uh, so I could get my father off my back. But uh, more important is this restaurant was owned by a chef called Roger Verger, who passed away now. But Roger Verger was one of the most famous French chefs at the time in the 80s. He had a, a cuisine called La Cuisine du Soleil, uh, the cooking of sun. And became a three-star Michelin restaurant. And... Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be a part of uh, of that and to be trained and to learn from them. Wow, that's so, incredible! That is incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It, it, you know, and just your, your background and how you got into the industry. I mean, just um, I love that. So, where did you go from there? So, um, I worked for Roger Verger for almost two years. Um, in his uh, two, yeah, two restaurants: one two star and one three star. 
And after a very, very long uh, summer, which uh, in France at the time, you had to work straight without a day off. After a, the entire summer spending 90 days without a day off, I uh, looked at my paycheck, told my mom, I'm like, this is ridiculous, all those tax I'm paying. And in France, the taxes were very high already and they're still very high. But I, so I, di I didn't feel like paying taxes was for me. So I told my mom, I don't want to pay all those taxes. And she said, well, then you got to find yourself another country. And the next day, I joined the Navy uh, because in France at that time, you had to um, you had to do your military services. I joined the Navy and um, and engaged myself to uh, to go to uh, to do this task for one year and seven days. I went to do that. I came back to... Um, <laughs> Came back to France after one year and seven days, down with my uh, military duties. I paid my taxes and I decided to move on and um, and go and start to go work in my journey out of France for not paying tax. That was the big story. I pay tax in California now, <laughs> but um, I went to work <laughs> nice. at uh, I went to work in Monaco for Alain Ducasse. And um, the restaurant called Louis the Fifteen and Alain Ducasse, uh, Mr. Michelin chef again, was still in the kitchen at the time cooking. I became Generation Ducasse. And after a couple of years over there, I found myself in London to be uh, to be working for some of the finest chefs in London, such as uh, Raymond Blanc, Nicolas Denis, Pierre Kaufman, and uh, all those star chefs and everything. I'd, just bring to me more and more knowledge about the industry and also learning English, which was the most important. With that said, I uh, once that's all down and I had uh, the skills to a certain point, the tools, the, the language, I went back to my first boss, Roger Verger, and I told him that I wanted to come to the United States. And he said that uh, he had a restaurant in um, Orlando, Florida. And, uh, Disney World in a French French pavilion in the Epcot Center. And I was owned by Paul Bocuse, Roger Verger, and Gaston Lenotre. So um, I applied, and I got hired, and I came to the United States through the, those chefs to work for Disney. So that was my first impression of the United States was Disney World. Which <laughs> uh, was definitely a very... Uh, very big contrast come, uh, from coming from France, but also this is not America. <laughs> it was not America. Yeah. So what was it like working within restaurants and trying to learn English with French as a first language? Uh, well, in London, London was very difficult because a uh, lot of French people go there to learn English and uh, there was always this rivality between English and the French and you know, didn't like each other, or it was very difficult. The English people didn't like us, we didn't like them. So um, it was definitely not a very friendly environment. And those fine dining restaurants, the chefs, I mean, the one I worked for, for Nicolas Denis, the chef was extremely intense and extremely rude. They could not care less about any uh, anyone. And so I definitely, um, definitely had a different, pay the price for... Uh, for being French and things that never happen in our days anymore. It's finished. I mean, you can never assume be told somebody. I mean, I used to, I was called like froggy, Frenchy, you know, like 
This, you can never do that ever again. It's against the law. <laughs> but now, at that time, it was. At that time, it was definitely people yeah. couldn't care. That's right. That's right. Looking back on your early days, what are some maybe a, a lesson that you learned early in your life? One thing that I would never change, and sometimes it's a battle with my team at the restaurant, is guest is always right. And that's and they are not customer in my world, they are guests. Big difference. When I came to United States working for Disney, you know, makes people smile when I say that. But the truth is Disney is an incredible hospitable company. Mm-hmm. who kind of really teach you the right way to handle people and yeah. kind of brainwash you. But uh, that was great for me to enter through them because at least I knew what was United States going to be like. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, in France, the service is very cold and passive and you are there when you need it and you gone when you're not. In United States, the service is very engaging and very approaching and very personable. Yeah. And uh, you have to learn those stuff because a French server comes to the United States, he will do, you know, he will not drop a check at the table until you ask, which here will be a complaint. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But that's the, that's the, the difference. Is it? And um, so, yeah, I was, uh, was fortunate to be, to, to be like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually just went on a trip with my wife to Europe. And we went to Italy for just over a week. And, you know, just the norms in Italy versus here in the US, it's so much different. And you mentioned right. about dropping a check. And, and there wasn't one restaurant or cafe that we went to where they would bring the check unless we, we asked for That's it. You fun. know, they yeah. wanted us to, it was more of a enjoyable experience. I felt like the eating experience too, we were, we were there. We would sit down longer than here in the US. Here in the US, it's, you know, they want to get you in and out and, you know, yeah. it's just so much different. It is very different. Uh, I mean, the, the service when we went to France, you know, you serve well, properly with matter. And, and I'd, it, to say like the quality of the food is definitely like up there compared to the, to sometime in the United States on location. Yeah. But yeah, it is definitely a more uh, hospitable place versus a business. Yeah. Right. So, when you um, were with Disney, did you have any any moments in your time there? You know, when it comes to hospitality, where or maybe not even necessarily there, maybe at a, a previous position to that, where service wasn't up to the level that it should have been, and you had to make a course correction and you know make an apology or uh, improve a guest experience, anything like that? Yeah, that has happened. I mean, that happens everywhere, yeah. every day, you know, it gets expectation, gets expectation from people, regardless if it's Disney or three star Michelin, you know, or McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. If it, you don't, if you don't have it, you don't have it, you know. So yeah, many times I've faced people complain and try recovery and, you know, trying to understand what was the, what was happening. And even in now, today in our restaurant, we still people. To complain, people have some people they come and they expect something different. Or, yeah, or we don't perform. Yeah, yeah it happens. Yeah. You know, in in a in a service oriented business uh, like food service, like the food service industry, it's tough. Yeah, I, you know, on the whole, I'm sure you make customers very happy, but you might get moments where the customer isn't happy because it's hard to keep everybody happy. I noticed that right. in my own business. It's you know, we, we look at it as holistically as a whole. You know, are we doing 
are we providing a great service for the majority of our clients? Sure, there might be times where we're not hitting everyone, but those are areas that we look at, hey, maybe some areas of improvement for us. Right. No, yeah, that's how we do it too. Yeah, we try to, you know, people come and people, you know, it's it's different because people, they come to restaurants also with expectation, but also in, in right. their mind, they are set differently to that. Someone, you know, if you come upset or if you're arguing with your wife, you know, like the experience, sometimes you 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 are you are between your experience. You know, you don't do right to expect. And then sometimes we felt like we, there's somebody mistake in the kitchen was made we definitely trigger a snowfall effect that really like gets us gets us in trouble and then you suddenly mm-hmm. you have waiting 40 minutes for your meal and then now you are you upset and the kitchen is struggling on the server or that that happened yeah I mean, it's, we are human you know yeah of course why did you start your restaurant well uh, <sighs> I always wanted to have uh, my own place, obviously, coming to the United States and yeah. being, uh, coming from a, a family, uh, you know, middle-class working family. You know? So when I came to the United States, I never thought that I will run uh, my own restaurant. But mm-hmm. I guess I was triggered to do so as I, um, as I worked from Disney, went to New York City, worked for La Grenouille and Le Cirque in New York, a credible restaurant. And the more important that the highlight of my career was to work for Thomas Keller for, uh, for 10 years at the French Laundry yes. and Bouchon in Beverly Hills. And when I was at the French Laundry, I thought that was the last job ever. <laughs> no, that was it. But uh, it ended up to be not the last job. It ended up to be, I, I left. You know, I, I didn't want to stay. Mm-hmm. But Thomas would stay, always say like, Run it like you own it, and one day it will be yours. And um, uh, this is what something that's really, uh, I guess, stayed in me. And uh, I left to uh, to try to open my own place, and didn't work out in Philadelphia, and then moved to LA. And when in LA, I worked again for Thomas after the Bouchon closed its door in 2017. At that time, I was like, okay, well, we have an opportunity to take on a restaurant and. Let's do it because he, Thomas Keller is the best chef ever I ever worked for. It is the best employer I ever worked for. So there was no going, <laughs> no going more than that. So owning your own place was good. Go a little deeper on working with Thomas Keller. What is that experience like? Um, was very intense. It's um, definitely like a lot of high, very high expectation. The French Laundry. Let's talk yeah. about expectation, right? Mm-hmm. You don't come to the French Laundry, and if you have something wrong, it really can be a big impact compared mm-hmm. to you know something in another restaurant because you have spent so long waiting for a reservation. You have anticipation and excitement, and so everything's going to be perfect mm-hmm. as much as possible. Uh, but Thomas really set it up that uh, that way to give the employee, the tools to do the job. That was really the big things when I came on board with him in 2005, you know, like everyone had everything to do the right job, you know. And, you know, despite there is always things happen, but as much as possible. And for example, me coming from a very experienced service uh, oriented, you know, I've trained with the greatest chef in France and everything. I started, the day I started, they gave me a folder, which was like three inches thick with a, a schedule of my uh, training program. It was 90 days. Wow. 
90 days training and starting by running food, starting by answering the phone, starting by spending two mornings in a kitchen, by being a back server, by the, like everything. And at the beginning, I got offended because I'm like, you guys are on me for what? But then I realized I'm like, but they just want to teach you the right, the way they do it, you know, and mm-hmm. buy into it. So, but this is the first time I've ever seen such a, an intense training after all my experience in the United States. Yeah. And uh, that was, that was definitely the biggest, uh, biggest, uh, things I've noted. Like he's really trying to give everybody the right to do the right job so we can all perform. Right. And, and when you think of the French laundry or Bouchon, you know, the experience, the guest experience is, it's a once in a lifetime experience for many people who go to those restaurants, you know? That's so right. it, when they come in, they, the expectations are very high, but that all, in turn puts a lot of pressure on you as someone working within the operation. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they come in and it's, uh, there was, there's a bunch of stories about people showing up late dinner and running into the restaurant scared that the table is not available or all that the restaurant is closed and but we never say no always like accommodate or there was people who used to come and sit in a garden waiting in case somebody will not show up mm-hmm. so we used to serve them champagne and couple appetizers just you know to they didn't we don't have to do anything but it's just like you become a part of become a part of the system. This is what you have to do. You have to keep on improving and get better and um, showcasing um, showcasing what you do. And in many ways, the French Laundry is also a benchmark for many restaurants. Right. To be like, look up to, you know, so you cannot really underperform and, you know, expect a restauranteur to look at and to be like, wow, well, I want to be like them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you originally get acquainted with Thomas Keller? Um, I knew somebody who knew him who told me, <laughs> told me that, hey, there is, a, there is an opportunity in the French Laundry. So I sent my resume. And um, the interview was very long. And uh, it took, I, I don't think it was six months, but it was pretty close to six months mm-hmm. by the time we got there. And the first time around, they didn't even hire me for the French Laundry. They offered me a job at Per Se in New York. And I was like, oh, I'm not that good, I guess. And so I, I declined the job. I said, I'm sorry, I cannot, uh, I cannot go back to New York. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, they contacted me a few, couple months later, maybe, or a few weeks later, and they said, oh, the French Army is ready for you now. You can go and uh, interview over there. I'm like, oh, am I good now? <laughs> it was very interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it was pretty uh a very intense interview, very with everyone from mm-hmm. human resources to maitre d's to chef de cuisine to accountant. Anybody, wow. yes, it was so many interviews. It was very, uh, very impressive. The system was like a monster. Yeah, I'm sure. At the French Laundry, how many employees worked there? Well, at the time, it was around ninety. Okay. All together, uh, all full time. You know? Yeah. Um, and I was the I was going to become the general manager, interviewing for the general manager position, which I will be the I will have, I will be and I am still right now as of today the only general manager who was hired outside of the group. 
ah, promoting, ouais. nothing. So. so that was very big for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was like, they were not, they were not hiring somebody within, they were not, they were hiring somebody from the outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. And as your job as general manager, what did your day-to-day -day look like? Coming in, looking at, that's, I mean, I don't say the book because the book is always the same, so <laughs> always busy, but uh, checking in with the team, the task happening, uh, the, the people coming in, you know, the, the number of um, people who have been repeat or regular guests in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say VIPs, but they are VIPs. When you return, like when you come and eat once every two months at the French Laundry, you are a VIP. <laughs> um, so, but uh, you check on that, you know, do uh, interview for staffing, you know, like uh, try. In my time, we change uniform. So we, this uniform process was really long. We contacted a company in Italy that we got the suit custom for us, you know, buying new plates, new silverware, designing new, new chairs for the dining room, planning the closure of the restaurant with everything being taken care of. You know, like we had a restaurant closed twice a year at the time and in the summertime, the restaurant gets pre-painted and refreshed and in the winter time, there is a bigger, bigger um, built out and stuff. So there was a lot of stuff to be done and meetings and finances, you know, making sure the restaurant is also performing yeah. uh, because at the end of the day, it's a restaurant who needs to make money. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, so. um, when, when you look back at your time at the French Laundry, is there any memory that comes to your mind that is very, you know, very fond, a memory that you have? Oh, it's many, many, many. Um, yeah. Uh, so I had, um, in the, I had four, I, I died four times at the French Laundry during my time there. Okay. Uh, the first time was for my anniversary. And uh, that was the first time, that was the second time, but the, that was the first time I, as an employee and, uh, the team had really like out to themselves to um, make me the best experience. And uh, the most, everything was amazing. I can go on forever. But one of the incredible things they did is uh, the main course uh, was served um, two ways. It was the French way and it was the Turkish way because my wife is Turkish. Yes. So the chef, Corilli, had called a restaurant in New York City and ask for a Turkish recipe and created this recipe with lamb and the server presented the food in Turkish. Wow. And wow. That was, that was incredible. That was, I was like, you know, like there's nothing to say, you know, like, and we have done that. We did that to get, you know, coming in and serving them things like, mm -hmm. but when you had, when you experience it, you know, like, you know, it's really overwhelming. Yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> that's an experience that I've never heard of before. Uh, yeah. That is so, I, I mean, talk about a, a moment that you'll never forget. Uh, that is right. incredible. That was incredible. Yeah. And the, the captain was not the service. The captain, his name is Dennis Kelly, and he's now on his own restaurant in, uh, in Northern California called mm -hmm. Protege. He got one star Michelin restaurant. And mm he's -hmm. uh, amazing. So, and then as an employee, have, uh, we had, uh, when the Guin Michelin came to California, we were, that was it, you know, now we had to perform and we had to, uh, to become uh, a three-star Michelin restaurant because mm -hmm. 
per se, New York had already a three-star Michelin, so we couldn't do less. So we spent a lot of time focusing on how to do things and to reviewing it and selecting people to to pretend they were a Michelin specter and do all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then the day uh, we one day we found out that the president of Michelin Guide was going to come and have dinner at the restaurant, and so uh, we prepared ourselves. We looked at everywhere, everywhere to the point that. For some reason, and I cannot tell you why, mm-hmm. uh, I decided to wash the uh, roof of the French laundry myself. So I went up with a high pressure washer mm-hmm. and I washed the entire roof. And somebody took a picture and uh, somebody took a picture and sent it to the uh, global email address of the Thomas Keller restaurant group and said, Guess who's coming to town? I mean, Guide was coming to town and I, it is just a picture of me washing the roof. Yeah. And so Thomas, Thomas called me and he said, um, feel good? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So you ready then? And then we were ready. And then we, uh, he came and, uh, that's the day he announced to, uh, Thomas private that, um, that we had gained Swiss star Michelin. And that was when he came to tell me, in my in the office, he came to. I was on my way out. He came to tell me like we got it. It was like the, the incredible satisfaction of uh, the work you have accomplished, and you get rewarded from something that you have worked so hard to uh, to focus on. Yeah, and um, that was. Um, I had worked in many three star, two star Michelin restaurant, but I never ran one who gained three star. Well, yeah, the greatest accomplishment is uh, in my career. Wow! How do they determine how many stars you're going to receive? Well, so one star you have to be one star. You have to be the best in your field. For okay. If you if you are a bistro, you have to be the best bistro you can be. You know? Okay. And if you are a, a guy California food, you have to be that. Two star, you have to be exceptional. You know, and you have to have above and beyond what what you usual restaurant do mm-hmm. and three star you have to become a must go a, a detour you have to if you come to united states you have to go eat at the french Laundry regardless where you are because it's that good you know you go to spain you have to go to el bully uh, to eat uh, those restaurants so that was really like exceptional a detour like a must go place that was mm-hmm. that's the rating it's a lot to do with the food the truth food has an incredible impact in it yeah ah. and, um, uh, and obviously the service has to follow because you can have a great meal but if you are served in the wrong way without your wine without mm-hmm. silverware you know, I mean, I, uh, we've seen it all right right if, if somebody's a three star can they become a two star can they go down a star or can they go from a two to a three they can, they can, and yes, yeah. happen. Some restaurants have lost the star, you know, like, um, Paul Bocuse was the fifth, fifth star for over 50 years, lost his star a few years ago. Wow. France, it's a big, big, big impact mm-hmm. to the business, to the whole thing. United States, I've seen restaurants back and forth losing the star up and down or show exactly how they receive it, how they, uh, how they accept it. It's a difference. Somewhat different than having a, a, a low rating in a local, like the LA Times or the New York Times or San Francisco Chronicle. If you have a low rating on that, that can be difficult. 
compared to a star Michelin, I guess. Right. But in yeah. France, Europe is very, very uh, followed. Is it something that's in, it's global? Europe, North America, South America, it's all, it's everywhere. It's getting everywhere now. Yeah. Asia, a lot of, in Japan, there's a lot of star restaurants, you know, like sushi. Sushi in a metro is a three star Michelin restaurant because it's incredible what they do. And so, yeah, it's, it's becoming a, I mean, it's becoming a pretty intense. Yeah. And Michelin Guide is really tire company. Yeah. They don't really care. Uh, politically, they don't, they don't have to give you three star. They don't, it's not, they don't list you, they don't list you. Right? Mm-hmm. Our, res- our restaurant here in Malibu, I've been trying to reach them out to come for them to see the place or anything. But if they don't answer, they don't answer. You know? Yeah, for if sure. They don't come, they don't come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much about Michelin star that I didn't even realize. Uh, so, so thank you for sharing that. <laughs> you said that you moved to Philadelphia and opened up your own restaurant and then work- went back to work with Thomas Keller yet again. Did you go back to the French Laundry? No. So in Philadelphia, there was this restaurant called Le Becfin. Le Becfin was owned by Georges Perrier, a very famous restaurant yes. for many, many years. And uh, in 2012, I had the opportunity to take over because Georges Perrier was getting tired. And yeah. I left the French Laundry to go to that. And the fact was there was no more. The fine dining world in Philadelphia was not going anymore. And uh, uh. we failed. We dramatically failed in a very short time. So um, I ended up to join a, uh, a Japanese group, a wonderful Japanese group, who, uh, who hired me. I was the first foreigner being hired from this group. Everybody was Japanese except me. And they hired me to uh, show them or to help them integrate the uh, American market. <laughs> uh-huh. so it was funny because <laughs> me being French and trying to teach them how to uh, run a, a restaurant in the United States. But um, they were wonderful, and they did, I did. I hope I did make an impact for them and uh, help them out in their journey. But so they, uh, they ended up to open a, a place in Los Angeles, and they asked me if I wanted to move there. And my wife and my kids, and we kind of prefer to be on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And so we took the opportunity, and we went there. And when I went there, and um, I worked for this group, and we were opening a restaurant with a um, with a social club, and then we were opening the own restaurant, and I was the director of the operation, and, and then they are starting to hire other people from outside of Japan, and that is when uh, we clashed. Like uh-huh. the, the, um, the foreigners started to, uh, to have arguments against each other and me, including myself, so um, I ended up to, to leave and join back Thomas Keller. And uh, gotcha. that was uh, for Bouchon. And Bouchon and Beverly Hills was uh, an incredible restaurant, uh, mm-hmm. but was struggling to uh, to get going. I, That's I why they closed the That was in Beverly Hills, correct, Bouchon? Co- correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was right across or right across the way, I think, from the montage. That's correct, yeah. I remember when I first started, uh, I'm in, in food service sales, I'm a food broker, and I remember making a call there to Bouchon back in 20... 15 or 2016. It was the nicest kitchen I have to this day ever been in. It, it, I remember thinking like, you can eat off the floors here. It's that clean. It's that nice. Well, it's incredible. Yeah. 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 And uh, ironically now, so the, the place closed and um, 
somebody else came on, somebody else came to, uh, to do it and they fell. But I didn't even, they came in and they, st- they, st- they left. It was like, oh my God, what happened? And then one day there is this, um, Chinese billionaire who comes to our restaurant a lot and he sits at the bar and we have an open kitchen. He sits at the bar and he says, uh, you used to work for Thomas Keller. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He used to work at Bouchon. Yeah. He said, he asked me questions. How big was the kitchen? How big was this? You know, how was that? You know, how did you do this? And I'm like, why are you asking me all those questions? He said, because I took over. I took it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what are you going to do? He's only, he said, I'm not a restauranter, but I, I rented it because I want to do something where I can entertain my business. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, last, uh, last Sunday, my son and I, we went to see what he was doing, what he did. You know? And so he transformed the place downstairs, the bar. He made it a, um, called it Sur Le Vert. It's all green and it's a very limited menu for now. Like he said, he said, I don't know what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> and then upstairs, he has not opened yet. But he's uh, definitely has uh, kept some of the things from the restaurant and changed uh, some of it. Uh, uh, but he did keep that famous bar top from yeah. France, which is uh, in zinc. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's, yeah, I kept that and everything else is different. That's really cool. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, so it's open to the public now. Just downstairs, just downstairs. Just downstairs and he's, yeah. he's a funny guy. He's like, he's, 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 we are, um, he's hoping we can help him out to develop the menu and everything, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because I've been closing Bouchon and now maybe helping out for the new venture would be interesting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your current restaurant. What's it like working with your son? Um, well, it's, it's good and bad. <laughs> we, uh, but we get along overall, you know, it's, it's pre- get pretty intense. You know, obviously we opened late 2019. Mm-hmm. Knowing what happened. So we really, uh, <laughs> we were very resilient to, uh, to stay on during uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the reason why we were successful by staying on is because we were, uh, small and a family. So we didn't have to, um, we didn't have to be, uh, hiring other people and so mm-hmm. we didn't pay ourselves and stuff like that which was not the best thing to do and but we had to do what we had to do to stay on to be able to reopen our doors but i don't work only with one side we have three sons and they all work at the restaurant at some level oh, wow. okay. and it, it kind of in malibu malibu it's an it's um incredible little city with incredible people, mm-hmm. uh, very loyal, very uh, kind, very uh, understanding and, and wealthy, you know. So during COVID, you know, they were supporting us to the point where they were just supporting us versus getting food. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, yeah, some people used to come and order wine every week to take home. And I'm sure it was just for them to be, uh, to spend money more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But, um, the fact that we became a family and that we did all these things really became a, uh, a we became a staples over there. And you come on Friday night in our restaurant, and everybody knows each other. All the locals are there. We uh, they all know our kids, our sons. They all know the staff, and it's like a one big family working together. And uh, really love that all this this special attention. And uh, my son Lucas, who is the one who's really running the show and want to be in the restaurant business and try to expand the brand. You know, it's always looking for extra details, really looking for 
things to do better and he's um he's really pushing pushing to the as much as he can to to make it happen for uh, for us you know and i mean you come to this little french californian bistro in on a pch in malibu and if it's your anniversary your menu will say happy anniversary mm-hmm. yeah and so he does all of that you know he does birthdays he does uh, he um really pays attention to all the details and to make sure people have the extra little thing. So um, we get very rewarded for me because of, uh, because of us being a family working together. I, I heard a long time ago that, you know, when a restaurant can become to somebody, you know, where they feel like you, you mentioned that on Friday night, it's, you know, you have your locals that come in, they probably feel like it's their restaurant, like they own it, that they, they're connected to it and when you have that brand loyalty you know the sky's the limit for what you can achieve yeah it is um they come in and it's interesting because when i say they, they're kind and they're nice and if if they come unannounced they make reservation and we are full mm-hmm. they they are happy yeah they, are, they say oh we'll be back tomorrow i'm so happy you guys are busy because you know, we are here, we survive, we surviving, we making it. So that's, mm-hmm. they want to have this restaurant, you know, and, and they come, they bring, they, they bring their friends, you know, they bring the guests, you know, to, to come Malibu, they show them the restaurant, you know, we have a rooftop bar and really, really enjoy the whole, uh, the whole, uh, family, French hospitality, they say, like atmosphere where everybody is going above and beyond to make things happen. When when you look into the future for your career, what is something that you haven't yet achieved, but that but you want to? Well, the near future, I'm about to finish writing a book. Mm. Which, uh, it's uh, only a couple of chapters to go, and uh, we should be uh, on. And uh, that's that will happen. And uh, but I want to finish it, and I've not finished it yet. <laughs> it's something that I really need to uh, to pay attention to and to make it happen. Opening another restaurant, a couple other restaurants, which we are working on. And it's a, you always work on staff and, you know, you go to the max you can. And after you say yes or no, you know, and uh, last year in 2022, we, uh, we almost opened another restaurant, but we failed to open it. So we went back to square one. And now we have uh, two opportunities that we are entertaining to look at, so to see, to expand the brand because. One restaurant is wonderful and is established and everything, but you, uh, if you want to develop a, a brand, a restaurant group, you know, you have to open more at mm-hmm. different locations. You know, Malibu is one. You know, Malibu has credible, attractive people come to the restaurant. And, mm-hmm. you know, who is who in the world comes to Malibu? Of it's, course. But we have, we have the founder of many incredible Companies who come, we have the the creator of of um, of things that we use every day that come to the restaurant. We have a uh, managers of artists. We have artists who come, and mm-hmm. uh, but we also want to like open in the valley where we live in Wooden Hills, where there is this energy happening, where everybody is. A lot of people have moved to the valley during the COVID, and and there is a lot of development, a lot of um, People are looking at the food now in the valley to become a serious food mm-hmm. versus before it to be uh, but now no yeah the Michelin guide is in Golden Hill. It's a big uh, big big thing. 
with your expansion, opening up another location or two, would it be the exact same concept or would it be something completely different? So let's see what we keep on going back and forth. And I think the concept has to stay in a way the same because uh, we're good at it and uh, it works that location. You just have to adapt it to where you go. You know, like in Malibu, you know, we have seafood and we have like sort of things where it's a bit more uh, healthy, you know, because people come and we put spicy Malibu stew and then it's like there's no tomorrow because it's Malibu. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's seafood. We have lobster all the time. If you go in a valley, probably more meat, more pure feed items, different, a little bit of different style. And maybe also a different pricing too. Mm-hmm. Because now you're not, now you're not uh, coming to uh, a place where you have, you have options, you have more, uh, more opportunities also to get business uh, that is uh, coming from businesses. Then in mm-hmm. Malibu, it's tourists. But, uh, you have to adapt to that too. Yeah, there's many different factors to take into consideration for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, that's uh, exciting. Yeah. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for taking time to come on to thank Titans you. of Food Service podcast and share your story. I, I hope to make it out to Malibu and come see you and, and your sons. I'd love a family-owned business sure, and sure. just so happy for you guys. And I'm sure you're very proud as well. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking your time. I really do appreciate it. And I know everybody listening here, uh, I'm sure enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.